On this episode of This Week in Linux, we check out a few useful command line tools and productivity apps. We'll discuss Canonical's recent outreach to the greater community with the future of Mir and the potential of Ubuntu Unity for 18.04. The city of Munich is back on the docket this week, hopefully for the last time. We'll also check out some Linux gaming and security news. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. This is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. I just want to take a minute at the beginning of this episode to just talk about um, my appreciation for the patrons over at the Tux Digital Patreon or patreon.com slash Tux Digital. Uh, I appreciate all the help you give me for this, helping make me make this channel and make this show possible. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's really amazing that people people want to help me out in this way. So I appreciate it very much. And um, let's get to the show. Up first in the show this week is Firefox Nightly adds CSD option to the window decorations. So Firefox Nightly is Firefox, in the, at, the, at the time of this recording, it's Firefox 59. So that means it's the, the experimental beta version of Firefox. Typically, you wouldn't use this unless you installed a specific PPA or downloaded the tarball from their website. But it's pretty cool to see what all the things they're adding to the new version of Firefox. It doesn't actually work for everyone right now, which is odd, but it's like depending on the the DE and depending on the distro, there are some cases where the CSD is not working. Um, there's reports that it is working in Fedora, um, but not in some versions of Ubuntu. It's it's they'll eventually get to it because it is a nightly and it is like only been around for a few days, so that's it's still pretty cool. And uh, while I don't like CSDs, I do appreciate the the effort that is Firefox is going into to utilize them for the people who do like it. And this, if you can see on the screen, this is what it looks like in the experimental nightly version on KDE Plasma. So looks pretty good. The interesting thing is, though, the the one on Fedora has, like, an extra padding at the top, so it wastes a little more space than the Plasma version, but anyway, it's still cool that they're doing that. And also, Firefox is kind of... They didn't really announce it, but it's, it's I found it on GitHub, essentially. Uh, they're working on a feature... Well, not... It's a conceptual experiment, trying to figure out if it's possible to warn users... If they are, uh, you know, pwned or whatever by websites that get hacked, you know, for example, like uh, PlayStation Network was hacked a few years ago, um, and their emails were compromised. So it's possible, like, to see if if you submit your your email to various different stuff, they could tell you if you have been affected by something. So there, there's a website called like HaveIBeenPwned.com, and essentially you just put your email in, and it tells you if that email address has been included in any of the leaks or hacks. Um, so this is this is interesting because they're, they're trying to figure out if it's possible to even do. Um, theoretically, it could work. And also, it might be weird resending an email uh, all the time for testing. I don't know. It's still interesting that they're working on something like this because um, for people who are not aware that's even possible to be pwned, it'd pretty be pretty good to be warn them about it. Vivaldi 1.13 was released this week with a brand new window panel and some updates to downloads the download manager. 
I mean, it's weird that they call this a window panel. It's uh, it's really just a sidebar tree style tab system. So if you've ever used like an add-on for Chrome or Firefox, I'm not sure if Chrome actually has that, but Firefox has had it for a long time where you have a you can display all your tabs in the sidebar where it's in a tree system so you can like have subcategories of tabs and you can just like filter down. Better organization in that way. I, I like the idea, but it is interesting that it's like this is like the biggest feature of the release. Um, but the other thing that they added was download improvements. And they're really odd download improvements. Um, the ability to pause and resume downloads, that's cool. Most browsers don't have that. But then it's like being able to display the speed of and the speed of the download in the progress bar, which is like a normal thing. Like I would have expected that to already exist. Or having the ability to uh, warn users that a download is currently active before when they're trying to close the program. So previously you could just close the program and it would cancel the download. Whereas in like Firefox it says, hey, are you sure? You got some downloads going. Um, I've used that quite a few times in Firefox. Uh, unfortunately, I forget that I'm downloading something and all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, this is an interesting update, but it's not that much features or anything. It's, it's, like, it's like a standard maintenance improvement thing. There's a lot of bug fixes and stuff. But they said that this was like, these download improvements were like the most voted on downloads uh, features requested and stuff. And it's like, those would just be default, just built in. But anyway, uh, Vivaldi is a great browser. I do like lots of, a lot of the features it has. Super Productivity is a pretty bad name for an app, but it's an interesting and pretty good app. Uh, it's a to-do app that you can use. Um, it's it's it has a web version, so you could probably self-host it. Um, it but it also has like a downloadable version that you can use. So, what I like about this is that it has a lot of different features. And it's got basic task like tracking features and stuff like that. But it also has subtasks, time tracking, um, daily schedules and summaries of like what you've done today. Um, the, uh, another thing it has is a reminder that can show up that says, you know, you need to take a break because you've been working too much. Uh, I, I need to have those many, many times a day. <laughs> uh, but it also has, like, full keyboard support, which is nice uh, for a GUI-based system. It also has integration with uh, Jira for, for, you know, project management and stuff, so that's pretty cool. Um, one of the coolest things I like about this particular project is that they have this demo that you can use. And in that demo, you can like change it to however you want and like, and, you know, how you get to the settings you want and stuff like that. And then you can download a JSON file that will have all of the stuff you've changed so that you can just reinstall, set, reset up that, that JSON file for your downloaded version. So you don't have to worry about like, if you're testing it, do you have to change all these things and then do it all again as well? Like that's a pretty cool idea. But anyway, Super Productivity to do app. Uh, if you're if you don't already have a to do app, give it a shot. Um, I've tried it before. It's uh it's not my my style, but my style is also like absurdly complicated for no reason. Man, I have my own system I built that is like ridiculously tailored to my workflow. It's not for everybody, <laughs> 
But this one might be, so give that a shot. CLI.FYI or Cliffly Cliffy. I don't, it's probably not that. It's probably the CLIFYI. Anyway, this is a command line tool that is like a query system that you can use to retrieve information about emails, IP addresses, URLs, and a bunch of other stuff, even like cryptocurrencies and stuff. So you can run commands that would be like curl space CLI dot FYI slash BTC and it will give you the current rate of Bitcoin in various different currencies. So it, it does a lot of cool stuff like that. Uh, but also does you give information for about email addresses, whether the address is like a temporary email or if it's like a consistent email, permanent one, or you know, what server what what region they're from and stuff like that, like based on IPs and stuff. Like all kinds of different cool information. You can even do like media searches you know, finding data from like Vimeo videos and stuff. It's a really interesting approach. It is, it's limited in some ways though, but that's also because it's like, it's built to be extendable. So you can customize a bunch of things if you, if you want to, instead of just using the default structure, you can actually self host it and add different plugins and write your own plugins if you want. And then you can do whatever you want with it. So that's really cool. And if, uh, if you're looking for, some kind of way to output or query searches and stuff like that in your command line for, you know, internet-based information. This is definitely something to check out. CoinMon is an interesting tool. Like on one side, we were talking about CLI-FII that does Bitcoin and a bunch of other stuff. But CLI-FII is limited in showing how much data it can show you per currency. Whereas CoinMon is a lot is specifically for cryptocurrencies, so it gives you a lot more information. It will actually display the top ten, um, the top ten cryptocurrencies, the rates they are currently for their own value, and also the value of what they are for a different like existing currency like USD or AUD or you know pounds or euros and etc. So. What's really cool about this is if you just run the command CoinMon and it shows you an output of of like of the top 10. So, like this. By default, it uses the uh, USD as the their conver their conversion rate. But you can change that to uh any number of like tw 30 about 30 different currencies if you'd like to change it. What's it, it uses a, a service called coinmarketcap.com. You could just go to coinmarketcap.com and get pretty much the same information, but this is in your command line, so that's cool. Next up in the show is WPM, or word per minute, basically. But it is a command line tool to measure your typing speed. What I really like about this tool is that you can just run it in your drop down terminal anytime, like let's say you're you're waiting for something else to happen, and you can just like take a little break and start playing with it. Um, what's really cool as well is that because it's a terminal-based uh, typing checker, it has very little latency, very very little latency, and has almost no overhead. So the the if you're a very fast typer, it ke it keeps up with you quite well. So I like that. So it it can. I think it's probably, I don't know if it's the most accurate in terms of like other tools that do the same thing, but
but it feels like it keeps up with me pretty well. So I really like that. And if you are interested in testing your typing speed in the terminal, give it a shot. That's three terminal apps back to back. You're welcome. VidCutter is a tool that allows you to manipulate and edit video in a very simplistic and minimal way. It's probably the easiest tool to use in terms of like if you just want to cut and trim up some videos and stuff like that. If you want to cut the beginning and the end off and stuff like that. The basic fundamentals of video editing. There, there Sometimes, like even a couple episodes ago, I suggested that OpenShot was something good for that. And it is, but it, you know, OpenShot has a little bit more power than that. Um, but it also requires you to le- have a to do have a learning curve. Whereas VidCutter has a learning curve, but it's very small. You just kind of tell it where you want to start the cut, then you create the cut, stuff like that. It's a it's a really interesting approach because you know there's a lot of different competitors in the space of video editing, but very few are just like here's the basics and fundamentals of what you want, and here you go like. If you want the easiest and the most minimal approach, try this. They they added an, uh, they've they've actually added some interesting updates. The UI has been improved. They added something called smart cutting, which makes it more accurate for like frame rate or no, I'm sorry frame rate, uh, more frame accurate cutting, so that you can say like a specific frame number and then cut there rather than um, like a rough general area. And they've also um, improve the thumbnail generation accuracy so that when you make the cuts, it will regenerate the thumbnails that look are more accurate to where they're supposed to be. So if you use the thumbnails as a reference to where you're cutting, that will be much more useful as well. So anyway, give VidCutter a shot if you haven't. Let me know what you think. Qubit Torrent 4.0.1 technically was released this week as well as 0, .0, 4.0 in general. Um, but this was this was a huge update to the BitTorrent client. It's like one of the first updates in a while, or as far as one of the big major updates anyway. Um, so, what's one really cool thing that it has added recently is they've they've redone like the UI a lot. They've in, they've introduced a new icon theme, and this icon theme is SVG based, which is scalable vector graphic. What's really cool about it is that SVG using SVG in the app allows this app to be like pretty much infinitely scalable. So if you have like a high DPI screen, the icons can scale with that screen. So that's a very, very good thing to add to any application. They've also decided to drop support for Qt 4 and are now requiring Qt 5.5.1, which is good because having to maintain really old toolkits is problematic. So that's really good that they're, you know, they're pushing forward for that. They've also introduced new enhancements for the web the web GUI, and they've made it possible to drag and drop magnet links into the window. So, lots of cool stuff. Like, feel free to go check out the change log. I'll have it linked in the video description for the full list. It's way too many things to address, so I just want to give you like the brief top overview stuff. And um, yep, Qubit Torn, four point zero point one. OpenMandriva LX 3.03 was released this week. It was a pretty big release, and they announced some pretty interesting things like experimental Wayland support. They've also upgraded Plasma to 
and they are shipping Cupzilla and Firefox. I'm not sure if they're shipping both of them. But they have an option to for either one. And I'm I'm calling it Cupzilla in this particular case instead of KDE Falcon because they're shipping a version that is the Cupzilla branding at that point. Uh, anyway, they also are s- featuring a LX Cute edition of OpenMandriva. So if you want to check that out, that'd be cool. Now there is something else I wanted to address that is uh, potentially problematic for some people. They have decided to drop 32-bit support with 3.03 as the last version. So the last version that will have, th- uh, uh, I think it's i586, will have will be the 3 3.03 version, and all future versions will be 64-bit only. So. For those who are, are OpenMandriva users, who are 32-bit users, or you are looking into using OpenMandriva, um, 32-bit is no longer going to be available in the future. I'm okay with that. Some people aren't. So if you're one of those people who aren't, uh, it might not be the best issue for you to try out right now. But otherwise, definitely give OpenMandriva a shot. Uh, it's got some very interesting approaches to how they lay things out. Ubuntu Unity is a potential distro flavor for well, an Ubuntu flavor possibly. There's still work being decided whether they're going to do it or not. They have pretty much said that they're going to, but it's not definitive yet. Uh, They said they're going to try to make development releases like about every week or so so that they can, you know, be on on a track to actually become a uh, a flavor. And they did a poll uh, last week or so where they were asking the community if they wanted to do like nine month releases, so like wait until eighteen ten to make the first Ubuntu Unity release, or make an LTS version for eighteen oh four, and the 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 community basically like two thirds of the community said, you know, totally do eighteen oh four, and I agree because eighteen oh four, if if anything, the transition period, a lot of people would want that more than the other ones because you know once they make that transition they're going to be less likely to want it again. Because if they're LTS-only users, which the vast majority of Ubuntu users are LTS-only, if they were to not release on 18.04, a lot of them would not even get a chance to try it until 20.04. And potentially, at that point, it might not be as important. So I think 18.04 is absolutely a good idea for the Ubuntu Unity flavor to happen. Whether it becomes an official flavor or not, uh, who knows? But they are in, they are trying or attempting to make that happen. But we'll see. Uh, just also before we move on, I wanted to make a quick note that Unity Ubuntu Unity is referring to Unity Seven, not Unity Eight. And uh, but there's also other projects that work on Unity or working on porting Unity Eight or forking it. Uh, two of one, two of two of which actually. One is called uh, UbiPorts that work on the mobile version, and Unit which works on the desktop approach of Unity 8. So, I look forward to this, and I hope it does happen, especially 1804, because that will be a lot of, that would be a lot less stress for a lot of people. This week, the Ubuntu community had a post post uh, for the, basically it's canonical asking for input from the community for advice on the next steps and the future of Mir, mainly the Mir and Wayland connection. They want uh, 
they want community, they want feedback for the direction to pursue what the like the future should be for the Wayland support in Mir. So Canonical moved Mir to GitHub recently and are also pushing to hire new developers to work on Mir, so it's very likely that Mir is still going to be a very important thing to Canonical. I mean, you can pretty much guarantee that at this point. So what this is, is is showing that not only is it very important to Canonical, there also it's also important for Canonical to have community in- input as well. So that is really great to see. Like the transition that Canonical has been doing for the past few months has been just fantastic. So to see this kind of thing like that happen as well is also really cool. One of the things they wanted to get feedback on is the desktop architecture saying uh, whether they should do highly modular desktop or a monolithic desktop. Uh, there are pros and cons to each of those. And in the post, they they actually laid out each their, their opinion of the pros and cons. You can go in and make comments and say like what you think about each one and stuff like that if you'd like. That's actually the purpose of the post. Um, they also want to know what your input is for the level of customization and theming that would be available. And uh, many more things they want. They want people to also request different things that people could vote on. Because what's really cool about the fact that the Ubuntu community uses discourse is that when you make a post, any any post, any comment on any thread, there's an ability to like a the comment itself specifically. So it'd be it's cool that if you make a post and people like that post, they can see how many people agree with your point rather than having to just comment, reply, and overhead to tally each one, you can just click like on that particular comment and keep track of that way. So discourse is really cool, and I'm, I'm really happy to see that com- uh, the Ubuntu community becoming much more important to the project because it, al- it allows all of the headaches and craziness of what it used to be like and makes it a lot... One, it makes it easier for people to contribute makes it easy for people to have discussions with Canonical and the Ubuntu team. And it has and it has the ability for me to link to the topics and talk about them in the show. Previously, they were using like IRC and mailing lists, which if you're not on IRC at the exact time they're having the conversation, you'd miss it. Because there are logs for all conversations, but almost no one reads them. And even if you did... Like people that you'd have to find them back online at the same time to talk to them later, you know, it's just problematic. Mailing lists equally problematic in different ways, but still equally problematic. So the Ubuntu community is a very nice uh, thing to see happening from from Canonical. So if you're interested in contributing in the discussion, check out the video description for the link, and uh, I'll see you there. 2008 season of KDE is about to commence. They announced the dates for application and, and I guess, enrollment, sort of, for the participation of the of the season. Uh, so, if you're not aware, season of KDE, it's it's like Google Summer of Code, where you, uh, where people can participate in, you know, fixing bugs and writing documentation and finding new things to contribute to KDE. Um, it's mostly for students. I, I think it's I think it's only for students, but it might not be. Uh, I, I I don't remember that part. But um, it starts the the ap- the application period for participation begins on December first. And um, if you're interested to check out, um, see what happens anyway. Usually, uh, pretty cool things come out each each session. 
Season of KDE 2018. This week we got a new up, uh, new release for a cool icon theme for KDE Plasma. The theme is called the Dex Icons. It's um it's based it's based on the Samsung Galaxy S8 icon theme, where it has like a rounded squarish style, and it looks it looks really nice, uh, especially on uh, like a dark theme. Like I use dark themes, so it's it's really nice to see it on that, and how well it integrates. They also have like a conky setup and some nice uh, KDE color scheme suggestions if you want to use those as well. So you, it's not just an icon; it's kind of like a, it's not really a theme either. It's like a, it's like an icon and a theme. And it's anyway, uh, check it out if you're interested in this kind of approach. It, it's they're similar to the way the Suru icons work, but still, either way, it's um, it's really interesting. If you're a KDE Plasma user, definitely check this out. The link is in the show notes and the video description. This week, I did a Black Friday video talking about the various sales that are available for Linux-minded consumers. And uh, I just wanted to point out that if you missed that video, I wanted to address a couple things in this particular thing for gaming because there's a lot of cool stuff for sale on for gaming. For example, the Steam Link is, um, is only $5 right now. You should... Uh, check, check out the Steam link for five bucks. There's also the Steam controller, which is on sale for thirty-three dollars and forty-nine cents, and as well as Rocket League and Rust are both on sale for fifty percent off at nine ninety-nine. If you've never played Rocket League before, and you've ever watched my shows or any of the channels or any of the content I've ever done, I, you've probably heard me mention Rocket League about a hundred times. So this is a good time to try it out because you get it for just 10 bucks well 9.99 technically but it's worth it it's worth the full price even but it's definitely worth the 9.99 up next in the show is Tannenberg it's a World War One first person shooter uh, it looks actually pretty cool and what's really interesting about this game is that it has a 64 player battle online battles so you have like big groups that all in this in this big battle and then you also have like subset groups that you have to stick with in order to like uh, accomplish like flanks and things like that it's a really interesting uh, approach and it's currently uh, in early access mode with for $17.99 so $18 and I don't really know why people do that I I mean I do know why but that's anyway Tannenberg World War 1 first person shooter Looks pretty awesome, and I can't wait to try it. The Signs of Tulva is a first-person shooter as well. So we're going from World War One to sci-fi with aliens with Signs of Tulva. The game is pretty cool because you can like get like weapon upgrades. You can salvage weapons from players. Um, you can also like adopt robots to join your team, and like it's it's a pretty interesting game. And it's if you're if you're into first person space like sci fi type games, it's pretty cool. So give that a shot if you're if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, it's actually on sale with the Black Friday sale as well for nine ninety nine. So even more reason to give it a shot. So that's the first person shooter sci fi. Si- this oh I said signs oh I really said signs no. I'm gonna keep it. I did probably say Tulva correctly. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up now to make sure. But the signal from Tulva is the name of this game. 
and I said completely different things. But it does look cool. The weapon stuff and all that stuff, I, that is correct. Signal from Tulva. The Inter- Ubuntu Enterprise Summit was announced this week. It's actually going to happen next week. So the Ubuntu Enterprise Summit is a, it's basically a webinar conference. So you don't actually have to attend it. You just you kind of sign up, register to watch the webinar. So they like watch the videos when they when they are live or after the fact on download. Not download, probably like a YouTube video or something like that. Uh, but it's mostly focused for enterprise type topics. Um, but you can, it's also going to have some interesting aspects for like a more broader audience for like the, maybe app stores, for example. Ubuntu Enterprise Summit next week, December 5th. Last week we talked about Munich potentially switching to Windows and whether they're going to decide fully or not. They have confirmed now that they're switching to Windows. And as I said last week, I don't really care. Because this topic has been on like most podcast, a lot of podcasts for years, and I'm kind of just glad it's over. Because one, we've it's not that important anymore. We've already had many cities switch over as well, and Linux is so dominant now that this argument doesn't really matter. And and it's but it's so silly and hilarious. All their reasons for doing so are just so absurd, and the fact that how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost is funny that they would even consider this a possibility, especially when they have not decided whether they're going to switch to Microsoft Office or not, and they will make that decision in 2018, at the end of 2018. So they don't even know yet, and it's still going to cost more. The on the, on the on the stream of this video, you'll see that it says 100 million euros. Now that's an estimate that includes switching to Microsoft Office. So if they don't switch to Microsoft Office, it wouldn't cost as much. However, if they weren't to switch to Microsoft Office, there would be absolutely zero reason to have ever switched in the first place. So that's why it's absurd. They don't expect the switch to fully complete until 2023. So what's hilarious is that in some of the the some of the people from the council have also said that it's possible that they're going to switch to a more cloud-based client, defeating the entire point of switching operating systems in the first place. <laughs> I think, what? Uh, really? Anyway, so the 100 million euros is based on an estimate of the cost of switching to all their systems to Win- Windows 10 entirely, as well as Microsoft Office and including having to convert or rebuild like 12,000 templates and macros, as well as creating an entirely new system for those. So it's a lot of work for and a lot of time and a lot of money for effectively nothing except bureaucratic nonsense. So good job, Munich. Enjoy spending pointless amounts of money on something you're going to replace with the cloud web apps Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons they said they were going, to, they were changing, is because swapping documents with external organizations due to incompatibility with Microsoft Office. Yet they haven't decided if they're going to use Microsoft Office or not. Isn't that fun? Oh, it's dumb. Oh, anyway, so. 
what's funny is that that particular problem with the external organizations and all this other stuff, someone from the council told Tech Republic that that only affects about 60 people, probably less. They said there's no more way, no way there's more than 60 people affected by that issue out of the thousands of users. So, yeah, bureaucratic nonsense. There was an announcement this week on the Debian mailing list that AppArmor has now been set by default in Debian SID. So this is an interesting thing because it's, it's, it, this is something that snaps rely on in order to function properly. So if Debian has it built in by default, that, inc- that increases the amount of um, support for snaps as well. Uh, so this this has a lot of good potential in for the future. Uh, right now, it's just an experiment. So because it's Debian SID, if you're not aware, Debian SID is a branch of Debian that most people wouldn't use because it's kind of like uh, it's 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 not experimental, but it's 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 along those lines of experimental branch for most just most people are just like developers or beta testers and things like that. So most people wouldn't be affected by this, but it is still pretty interesting that I wanted to. Uh, give attention to because uh, they had a they've already found a few bugs with by doing this experiment and they've already fixed most of them as well. So this is pretty cool and I look forward to seeing what the future will be will happen due to this test. A Chromebook exploit has been found that is a significant issue that a researcher has been awarded a hundred thousand dollars for this this exploit found this this uh, bug bounty. The interesting thing is that this kind of level of issue had been around for a few years, like 2014 or so, since 2014 or so, where they offered $50,000 to uh, submit it, like, the exploits like this to Google. And in that time period from 2014-ish to 2016, there weren't any submissions at all. Like, the, no one was participating in that bug bounty. So Google decided to double that bug bounty to $100,000 in March of 2016. Then a user submitted in September of 2016 a, 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 bug, bit, a bug bounty, or a bug that they found for an exploit like this for that bug bounty and was awarded the full 100000 for the bug bounty. That same researcher found this bug as well in the same kind of vein uh, issue. So the, 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 the good thing and bad thing about it is that there's an exploit. The good thing is that there is incentive for people who are finding these things to submit these exploits to get them fixed. And people were questioning whether Google's decision to double the money would actually make any effect. And the answer is absolutely. It has been successful. <laughs> so one hand, exploits, not a good thing. Other hand, exploits being found and fixed. That's a good thing. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash tuxdigital, or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. If you'd like to join me in the chat room for the recording of this show, we stream it live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.